So good morning, everybody. And uh, I think I need more room up here. I, we have a lot of room this morning. There must be something going on later on, like eight count. Okay. I, I know we've got a few fans out there, so terrific. Thank you. Last night, we had a Christmas dinner uh, for the church over at the ministry center, and that was one of the best dinners I've ever had in my entire life. And I'm afraid that it looks like I ate a little too much uh, last night. That was, that was fantastic. People just brought, I mean, I couldn't believe the dishes. I was sitting in a dark kind of corner of the room, so I couldn't see what I was eating, but it's even better that way because you just sort of mix it all together, and it's this beautiful, mushy, delicious mess of food. And that was really, really good. And then we had some entertainment last night. My gosh, I, we have more talent in this church than, than even I knew about. And uh, we need to bring some of that drama, some of that, uh, some of that acting into Sunday morning. Would that, would that be okay to do that at some point? The chairman says yes, so I guess that, that's all we need to know. All right. So Sandy Chen and her group uh, did a fantastic job last night bringing uh, us the entertainment. And we had music and we had all the kids and... That was really good. And I've got some other good news for us because we've been looking for an overall worship coordinator for a while. We have different worship leaders um, that have been up in front, um, and uh, Randall and John and Mark and, and Ray. But we have found that we have found Ray from the inside of GRX after looking, you know, all around the world. We have found that Ray on the inside is exactly the right person who is incredibly talented musically, and though he has another job, he's going to do this on top of that and uh, give us a huge but valuable part-time role as uh, our worship coordinator. So would you give a hand to Ray Lynn? And that's starting right away. And so we, uh, we gave Ray a vacation today, told him not even going to come to church, just go rest up, because... Um, you're going to be providing that music, and we're going to be using, hopefully, even more of the talent that we have, because God has blessed this church in, in so many ways. Would you turn with me, please, to uh, Luke chapter 1? Luke chapter 1. We're on a series called uh, "In Search, The Search for Certainty. I wasn't even certain of what the title was. I had to think about that. In Search of certainty, or the search for certainty, which is it? In search of certainty. And we talked about last week how uncertain is the time that we live in, and how we live in an age of uncertainty. There's so much that is uncertain. Even though we know much more, we have encyclopedic resources for us at our fingertips, what do we know for sure? What can we count on for sure? And how can we how can we be certain enough that we can live our lives based on that foundation? And Luke chapter 1 just has a lot about certainty. And the quest for Christmas is really the search for certainty. It's not just about information. It isn't just about historical facts. It isn't just about acquiring knowledge. It's about gaining a kind of perspective that becomes so convincing for us that we're willing to risk our lives based on the truth that we are given, based on God's intervention in our world. So we're going to continue reading in Luke chapter 1. Last week it was about the, uh, the foretelling of the birth of John, uh, to be called later John the Baptist. And now we have another birth narrative, um, and things escalate now. 
it becomes much more significant and uh, the, the tension rises a bit because there's much more at stake. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. What's going on in Mary's mind when this message comes to her? What is she thinking about? What does she imagine this will be? How does she resolve the trouble that, that enters into her mind as she thinks about this? Would you listen carefully to the lyrics of this song? This time you've waited for my 
Think about Mary for a moment, this young girl. Who is she? Is she the queen of heaven? Is she an icon to be worshipped? Or on the other hand, the Protestant reaction, which almost dismisses her as a minor character, uh, a side issue, um, a kind of nobody who hardly gets any press at all. I mean, who is she? Clearly from this passage, she's an ordinary girl. She's an ordinary girl. She's 14, 15 years old. In those days, in that time, you would be engaged, perhaps, at 13 or 14 years old. You would be pledged to be married. You would be betrothed. It's an arranged marriage, and you're a young girl. You would be engaged for a year, and then after that year, there would be a wedding. There would be a celebration of vows. And then your husband would take you home, and now you are married. You were a virgin until then. There would be no other way. And it would all happen according to a kind of a script. It was very conservative. It was very predictable. It was very orderly. And that order is now completely disrupted. You're an ordinary girl. You're doing what you're supposed to do, and this message arrives. And obviously, it's going to be completely disruptive for her and her life. No wonder she's troubled. She's an ordinary girl, but she has an extraordinary faith. She surrenders to the call of God on her life. Now, as we're talking about Mary, remember that she's completely human. She's been leading an ordinary life. She fits into her society, and God has cut across all of that with a call on her life. And that's what God does. God calls 
human beings. He calls us. He surprises us. He even shocks us. She surrenders to the call. Have you? Have you heard it? God is constantly calling people out of their ordinary lives to do something extraordinary with him and for him. Later on, she becomes quite assertive. In fact, if you read to the end of the chapter, we're going to do this next week as we continue this series, um, Mary becomes a prophet. You read her words, and they're very, very, very powerful. Though she is submissive in this scene, her submission to God empowers her then because fearing God, she now has no more fear of anything else or anyone else. And she's going to say exactly what is on her mind because God has inspired her to that extent. We have, of course, these two birth narratives going on in Luke chapter 1. We have the story of John and John the Baptist, born to Zechariah and Elizabeth, this elderly couple, this priest and his wife. And now we have the story almost in parallel of Mary, engaged to a man named Joseph, who is not privy to this encounter with the angel Gabriel. And uh, we have now a birth narrative which seems to, again, escalate The stakes get much higher. And in every way, in this story, in this chapter, Jesus, the story of Jesus, the birth of Jesus, far surpasses the story regarding John. And it all has to do with God's initiative. John the Baptist is born in response to a prayer by an older couple who are looking to have a child. And it's been a great sadness to them, even a disgrace in that society not to have a child. And God answers their prayer because he loves to answer prayers. And he then wraps this prayer request into a much larger purpose. But what God is doing when Mary gets pregnant in this particular scene is not an answer to a prayer because Mary isn't praying to be pregnant. She's content to wait until it is her time. And so it comes to her as a complete surprise. This is all about God's initiative. God is not responding to a prayer. God has taken the initiative. It's been his plan all along that brings us to this moment. This initiative is, is, is uh, with the call. This initiative is with the conception of a child. This initiative is with the naming of this child. That also is God's. Uh, God takes the initiative on that. And then he will protect and he will sustain and he will complete his plan. And it's all about God's initiative. It's all about the sovereignty of God, which allows us ultimately to relax once we get that, that he really is in charge. He's had a plan from the very beginning. He's with us right now. The Lord is with you, Mary, and he will continue to be with you. But, of course, this will come at a cost for her. Again, think about Mary as an ordinary girl growing up in an ordinary society and she's following the rules and she's playing by the rules and the rules and everything about those rules and the peace that is created because you are abiding by those rules, it's all shattered now. She's probably going to lose her fiancé because this is not his baby. This is not about his initiative. This is not about the involvement of a man. This is not about the control of a man in a patriarchal society. That has been set aside now. She's going to lose her reputation. She may lose anything like a future in her world, in her community, in her little village. And though she doesn't know it now, she ultimately will lose her son. 
In fact, if you go to the next chapter of Luke chapter 2, after Jesus is born, he's presented to a man named Simeon, who's a sage in that society. He's been waiting for God to answer, for God to answer the prayers of Israel and to fulfill his promise. And at that moment, Simeon says, I have now seen the salvation of God in the person of this little child. And this will be a light not only to Israel, but to the, but to the Gentiles. I mean, the, the expanded version of this promise just, just begins to boggle the mind. You mean, this is not just for Israel. This is for the world. It's for the outsiders. It's for the pagans. It's a gift at that level. And then he says, almost as a kind of addendum, a kind of postscript, that he says, Barry, he looks directly at her, he says, and a sword will pierce your soul. It's a little bit cryptic don't know what that means until events play out but this is the purpose all the way along this surrender by mary to the call of god is not only a great privilege which it is and the angel tells her of that you are you are you are mary you are favored you are privileged rejoice in this special calling which is going to cost you and it's going to be worth it because something greater than you can imagine is being accomplished here so who is this one who's about to be born? Because when you ask the question, who is Mary? Who is she? How should we think about her? You can't even talk about Mary without talking about her relationship with God. Ultimately, Mary will name herself. She'll say, I'm a servant of the Lord. That's who I am. You can't know Mary apart from that. You can't describe her simply sociologically. You can't simply describe her as she fits into that society. You can't simply describe her by her personality. You know, is she, is she a hero? Is she a heroine? Um, as the song said, I'm, I'm not brave. And that probably wasn't her feeling, that she was brave, that she was, you know, looking for greatness and aspiring to greatness. No, it came to her and she responded. And that faith that was embedded in her, became the seed of a great, inspiring life. And no, we shouldn't dismiss her and we shouldn't marginalize her because she plays a really, really key role. But it's not because of something that happened inside of her. It didn't happen to her by herself. It happened because she acknowledged this relationship and she responded to this relationship and she submitted herself to God, including all the risks involved in saying yes to him. And you need to know that, that when you say yes to God, there are risks involved. Because in saying yes to him, you're now holding lightly every other allegiance. Other people may not be happy with you. Things can happen as a result of you living out the life that God has called you to live. It's certainly the case for Mary. Of course, we don't worship Mary, but we ought to admire her to the point that we emulate her because she is our sister, in Christ, as well as the mother of Jesus. And she has gone ahead of us, and this story is told for a reason. So to understand Mary, you really have to understand her son. You have to really understand Jesus. And there's a description given of him in this passage. And of course, the living of that out will, will, will fill out our understanding of who, who this one is. But, but first of all, we know that he's going to reign over the house of Jacob, which is a euphemism for Israel itself. So there's something tribal about this. He's going to have an impact right there at home base. And he's going to sit on the throne of David, the great hero of Israel. So now he's being, you know, he's being lifted up as, as the one who succeeds David. And there was always a promise in Israel that there would be a king 
who would come after David, and there was, of course, a breakdown in the kingdom after David. It was a terrible breakdown. There was a division in Israel, and there was always this longing, and even as Israel was hauled off into exile, someday, Lord, you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel in the name of David. They didn't understand how that would happen. It didn't even seem like it was possible because they were constantly you know, overwhelmed by superior forces coming in from the outside, from Greece, from Rome, from all sorts of places. But this is the one who would now fulfill that, that role and be one that was even greater than David, which is hard to imagine because David, I mean, he's, he's at the very top. And this one is going to come along and not only fill the seat of David and take that authority, but reign forever. Reign forever. And his kingdom will go on forever. And he is the son of the Most High, he is called. He is the very son of of God. Now, that's not a biological statement. It isn't about procreation. And if you're mixing it up with other pagan myths, I mean, don't, don't go there because this is about a very, this is a qualitative statement. It's about the relationship between the God who created all of this and the one who is called his son. And so we have this mysterious description, which we can't describe in physical terms or genetic terms. Mother Mary is indeed the mother. There is no human father. And the Holy Spirit now, the Holy Spirit, this mysterious force, overcomes her. And there is a conception. And um, I have no idea how that can be explained. It's clearly a miracle. It's clearly a way of setting him apart from every other human being. He's fully human, and yet he's something much, much more than that. Something Someone absolutely unique. Someone who not only represents God, but is somehow God with us. I find myself at the edge of of any attempt to create a vocabulary that describes this adequately for us. He'll reign over the house of Jacob. He will sit in the throne of David. His kingdom will never end. He's the son of God. And maybe the most powerful way of introducing him is simply by his name. He will, be, he will be called Jesus. Now that's sort of the English transli- translation of many other translations. It goes all the way back to the original name, which is Yehoshua, or often shortened to Yeshua. And in the Hebrew, that's, or, or, or in our English version of that, that's, that's Joshua. So we have that name from the Old Testament, Yeshua, Joshua, which means, and it, this, is, this is such an interesting name. It's such an interesting word picture behind this name. It means crying out to God for salvation. It's actually a kind of a command. Cry out to God for salvation. And there's a bilateral dimension to this name. There's two sides to it. It's what God is doing. God is providing salvation, and we are crying out. And at the junction of those two sides is this person, is Jesus. He is God meeting our needs, offering his help, total help, because that's what we need. And it is him also standing in our stead. He is identifying with us completely, totally human, to the point where he can bleed, to the point where he can die. Human, fully human in every way. And yet God with us. And at that juncture, at that junction, we find the unique identity of Jesus. And so his name is very intentionally given. 
It isn't left for them to choose. It is, again, the initiative of God. It's the sovereignty of God. It's the overwhelming grace of God involved in our world, in our lives. Rejoice, privileged one, the angel says to her. Rejoice, you have found favor. The Lord is with you. And she says, am I allowed to ask a question? How can this be? I mean, this is beyond anything she could imagine. There's no explanation that's possible. What will this mean for me? How could this happen? I don't know that she's so much asking for a physiological explanation. She knows it's impossible because she's a virgin. She's not sexually active. She has had no sexual relations. And that would have been unthinkable in that society. That would have been a huge scandal. Would have been a terrible violation of her engagement. Because it wouldn't be until she is married to this man and the community comes together to celebrate this and authorize this and, and witness this. And then he takes her home. And then they become a married couple. That hasn't happened yet. How can this be? Because Mary's human. She has to ask those questions. We're allowed to ask our questions. Please, please ask the questions. It's not faithless to ask questions. In fact, it's faithless not to. It's faithless to pretend you know the answer or simply um, give the right answer and in your heart, of course, you're not there at all. So you give the answer somebody wants to hear and then you walk away and live life the way you have been living your life. But, but Mary asks the question and the angel gives an answer that is not complete and not exhaustive. And if you and I are looking for all the answers before we ever are going to move, then we'll never move. We'll be paralyzed. With God, nothing is impossible. This is God's will. This is God's purpose. You're going to have to experience this, Mary, to understand what it means. And again, you and I, to find certainty, we'll have to step out of our security and take that risk, responding to God, and say, okay, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. I, I believe. I don't have all my questions answered, but I believe, which means I trust you. That's what belief means. It doesn't mean you have all the answers. It doesn't mean your theology is intact. It doesn't mean you're perfectly orthodox. It means you're willing to trust the one who is calling you. God is intervening in your life. In Mary's case, he's giving her this very special call, unique once for all time in all of history, the most dramatic event in human history. And we still honor it as such, even if we don't completely, you know, pay attention to it and follow it. This is the central moment, and she says, I don't understand how this can be. The angel says, with God, all things are possible. Nothing with God is impossible. Apply that to your situation right now, because I'm sure you're facing some impossibility. And God is asking you to trust him. And like Mary, you go, how in the world can this happen? I don't understand this. It's beyond my ability to process this. With God, nothing is impossible. And if you have his word for it, then you can live your life based on this. Because even if we could, even if an expl explanation could be provided in advance and almost never is, 
we wouldn't understand it. We have this tendency to sort of argue with this kind of claim on us. And we begin to think about all the details and all the ramifications, and, and, and you get lost in that. And I know as soon as I go there, I want to start sort of negotiating with God. In fact, I want to start advising God. Let me, let me help you improve upon what you've just asked me to do. Here's what you really mean, right, God? Because you can't mean what you're saying, because that's impossible. Let me show you how this might work. God rarely takes my advice. He sticks with his word. He's already kind of thought it through. And he knows all of the details and all the ramifications and all about what's going to happen in the future. So he knows this is the way it needs to roll out. Do I trust him? I mean, Mary's risking a lot. Nobody has ever risked more, to tell you the truth. And where does she end up? And this is what makes her so beautiful. This teenage girl. Imagine that she has this level of faith. And she says, I am the Lord's servant. You see, it begins with identity. Who are you? Not not arguing the parameters of what it is you're being asked to do, but who are you? I am the Lord's servant. He's reigning in Israel. He's ultimately going to reign over the whole world. Will he reign in your life? I am the Lord's servant. Let him take charge of my life. Wow. What a place to get to. What a beautiful moment for her. I am the Lord's servant. May it be unto me as you have said. May it happen to me exactly as your word has promised. I'm going with this. Are you there? So I'm having a conversation with my wife recently. And I do have her permission to tell you this. So relax. My wife... is a really impressive human being. You know, John the Baptist was called great. In fact, Jesus later called him the greatest man ever born to women, to a woman, to a woman. He was called great. Jesus, of course, is not great in the sense that he's a reflection of greatness. He's the source of it. So there's greatness at a human level, and then there's greatness when it comes to God. So anyone at a human level, whether it be John the Baptist or you or me or my wife, that greatness is, is, is relative, okay? By the way, we saw the movie Lincoln this weekend, speaking of greatness. There was a great man, a great man that God obviously used at a key moment in our nation's history. It was tragic all the way around, and he felt completely helpless, at moments. And the movie captures that. And you see, great people are in tune with reality enough to know when they are at their own limit. And that's why greatness and humility actually go together. If you're great, you're going to be humble about it because you know that there are limits. And he bowed before the one that he knew as his God. He was helpless. And yet when the word came, when the call came, he was courageous even against all odds. And the movie, of course, bears that out. And it's interesting walking with him through that, those scenes because you know the end as you're watching it. But he didn't and took incredible courage. Back to my wife. Because she kind of reminds me of Abraham Lincoln a lot. Because she's tall and thin 
Um, and she's great. And she has a heart for people. And she is a servant of the Lord. Okay? So enough propaganda. So this weekend, or I guess last week, she went to a lunch that was all the retired teachers in her area, and she likes you know, to stay in touch with, with, uh, with those teachers once in a while. So she goes, and she said what all of us should say walking in, Lord, use me here. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know who I'm going to see. Use me. So, in fact, she did that. And she walked in, and she was seated next to the most obnoxious person in the whole place. You ever been in that situation? And yet she had said, Your Lord, use me. And so... Um, her first reaction was, uh, not, not, not here, not now, not him, Lord. She was bargaining with God. <laughs> and he proceeds to launch into a long, irrelevant story about something she can't even remember. And she was trapped. You ever been trapped? Some of you are feeling trapped right now in church. <laughs> Let's get to the dancing. Okay, we'll be there in a minute. And... Uh, I was talking to her about that, and she was feeling, later on, she was feeling, you know, I I walked in saying, Lord, use me. Use me to help somebody else here. Here was the opportunity, and she she was resenting it and regretting it the whole time. I said, well, now that you look back on it and realize, you know, the struggle that you had going into it, and realizing that, of course, God does want to use us to bless other people. What would you do, do differently now as you were sitting next to this man? Now that you can look back on that and see what was going to happen. And she said, well, I wouldn't have sat there. I said, no, you're not quite getting it yet. But I understand what that situation is like because I do that many times. I say, Lord, here I am. Use me. Oh, but not here, not with this person, not right now, not at this cost. Do you mean that? Can you mean that? Are you even saying that? Are you ready to trust him as Mary trusted her God? Are you ready for the disruption, the interruption? Are you ready to trade your agenda for his? Um, Are you ready to stop claiming yourself to be a Christian? And are you ready to start living what you say you believe? Yes, we celebrate the one who has come into our world and he's, he's going to reign over Israel and he's going to reign over the nations and he's going to reign forever. Wow, Merry Christmas to all that. Now let's see, what am I going to do with my, with my day? What am I going to do with my life? Who are you? We know who Mary is. And she lived it. And she lived it. And she's become a great blessing to all of us. But who are you? And the only way you can answer that question is, who are you in relationship to God? Because that will establish your identity. That will define you. Are you a servant? Are you willing to trust him completely? Will you let him reign in your heart? Let's pray.